Take your Bible, if you would. Turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. A familiar verse will be our starting place, uh, and one that we often refer to when we talk about missions and what God wants us to do for missions. John chapter 4 and verse 35. There the scripture says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these few minutes you've given us tonight to meet as a church. Lord, we are here tonight because we love you, also because we're needy people. We need you to speak to us, and Holy Spirit, we need you to teach us your word tonight. So we ask you to do that. I pray that we would have open hearts, and that Holy Spirit, you would take your word, show us truth, And then, Lord, may we appropriate that truth with your help to our lives. Instruct us, challenge us where we need to be challenged. Encourage us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. When I come to John chapter 4, it's kind of one of those landmark chapters in the Word of God. And I especially, as I'm sure you do, love the story of that Samaritan woman and Jesus meeting that woman at the well and leading her to Christ. I'll talk more about that in a moment. But sometimes we read that as a story and as a true story. And then we come to a new paragraph in verse 31. And we almost think that, well, now we've got a new thought. And now God is going to give us a missions thought about fields that are white already unto harvest. But what I would suggest to you is that if we look at John 4, 35, separate from the account of the woman at the well, then we miss the whole point of what the Lord is saying to us in that great verse. You know, I I was taught in Bible college that context was very important. And if we're going to truly understand Scripture then we've got to be very careful that we take things and study things in context. So for just a moment, I want to do this. I'm not going to preach all of John 4, but I simply want to walk through John 4 for a moment so that we can see the connection uh, to these two great thoughts. Go back to verse 1 and let's start at the beginning. And I want you to notice what it says. In verse 1, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Now, I don't think I have to instruct this crowd and remind you of the hatred that existed between Jews and Samaritans. The Jews uh, felt that they were, to use an ugly term, 
half-breeds. They were once connected to Israel, but they had been that rebellious ten tribes, and they had ceased even being a, a nation, a recognizable nation as Jews. And so great was the prejudice of the Jews that they literally would not pass through the land of Samaria. If they were going to Galilee, they would go all the way down to Jericho and to the Jordan River and then travel up the Jordan and then come into the area of Galilee. And it must have been an incredible shock to the disciples when Jesus says, I'm not taking that route. I I know that it's wise for me at this time. My hour has not come. I know it's wise for me not to stay here in Jerusalem. I'm going to go to Galilee, but I must needs go through Samaria. That's an incredible statement. And so off they go on this journey And it takes them into the province of Samaria. And as they are traveling through Samaria, they approach a city called Sychar. Sychar was a notable city. It was near a place where Abraham had dug a well. And it just so happens that when they arrive at Sychar, Jesus sits down at that well and his disciples busy themselves with finding something to eat. I would be considered about that too. They had traveled now. They were hungry. They could not find a McDonald's. Nothing was open. It was COVID. And so they had to go in to the city of Sychar to find something to eat. Something very, very significant happens when they leave the Lord sitting at that well and go into the city to find something to eat. And what happens is a Samaritan woman approaches that well and Jesus at that well and Jesus engages her in conversation. I'm not going to go through all of that conversation, but my friend, what a conversation it was. And that loving, compassionate Savior, the, you know, the one who saved us, engages that woman and says to her all the truth of her life. And her life was a wrecked life. Her life was one that had been in and out of relationships and had literally been a sinful life. And yet Jesus loved her and was compassionate towards her. And you know how that story goes. She tries to distract him. She tries to divert him from questioning her about her need of a Savior. But finally they get around to it. And and I love that wonderful place in verse 26 where Jesus simply says unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And he is literally revealing himself to be the savior of mankind, literally calling himself, I am the I am. And wonderfully, that woman gets saved. Isn't that a good deal? Aren't you glad you got saved? I wasn't at a well, but I want to tell you, I had a sinful life and Jesus came to me compassionately and I was marvelously saved. Well, After that takes place, while Jesus and this lady are still conversing, the disciples return. Notice verse 27. 
And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no man said, what seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? Now, I think they were curious. As a matter of fact, I still think they were shocked, but they were busy getting stuff to eat and busy setting it out, as we'll see in just a moment. And, and I don't think, even though they were curious about why he was talking to the woman, I don't think it ever entered into their heart or their mind to be concerned about the woman or to be concerned about her need soon after they had returned and her and Jesus were done with their conversation, the woman ups and leaves and her purpose is to go back into Sychar to give her testimony to the people of Sychar and to bring out the city to meet Jesus. That's what it says in verses 28 and 29 and verse 30. And while all of this is taking place, this is an earth-shaking event. A Jew, Jewish rabbi is leading a, a sinful Samaritan woman to salvation. And the first questions, the, or the first statement the disciples make in verse 31 is, in the mean, while his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. All right, you're done with this lady. This lady's been dispatched. She's going back into the city. Now, can we please do something important? Will you please eat? We dirtied our hands, and we went into Sychar, and we bought Samaritan food because we need food, and now we've brought it out to you, and if you can possibly uh, pay attention to us who have done this for you, Master, eat. Now, I don't know if their attitude was that serious, but I thought I did that well. <laughs> and I love what he says to him. Verse 32. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Now, these guys are rocket science scientists, because look at verse 33. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? straight over their heads. And, and Jesus is saying something momentous to them. He is saying to them, there is something more vital. There is something more important. There is something more satisfying than food. And you haven't noticed it and you haven't observed it, though you've been in the presence of it, but God just saved a soul. And I don't care about your sandwich. And I'm not caught up in the temporal. And my first priority isn't feeding my body. My first thoughts are spiritual thoughts. Look what he does in verse 33 or 4. Jesus saith unto him, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. Listen, can we please connect these two great 
passages. And here's the connection. You disciples, you didn't want to go through Samaria because they didn't look like you and they didn't act like you and they they didn't live like you and they didn't believe like you and you didn't want to dirty your hands and dirty your, your feet and soul with fooling with Samaritans. But there's a need in Samaria and I must needs go through Samaria. And you came to this well just like I came to this well. And you saw this woman just like I saw this woman. And yet not at any time did you care about the need of her soul. Did you care about the hurt in her heart? Did you care about her eternity? Not one time did it occur to you. You only cared about your bellies. And then I won't read any further. I'll get on with my sermon. But get this. In just a few moments, we're going to watch the entire city of Sychar empty out. And you know why they're coming? Because this woman has gone into that city and testified about Jesus. And you know what happened? They got saved. While the whole band of disciples went into the city, never once mentioned Jesus, never once cared about the hurt of those people or the need of those people. And Jesus with them out there says, is all you care about is your own life? Lift up your eyes. I don't think the disciples were bad people. Matter of fact, I think they're, other than that one Judas, <laughs> I think they're pretty good folks. I think they even forsook all and followed Jesus. But I do think they're people. And I think they're people just like you and I, who, if we're not careful, just get caught up in the sphere that touches our physical life. And we rush around because we have real needs to meet. And we try to meet those needs. And and before very long, our lives get caught up in the physical and we forget the spiritual and we live our lives not seeing the need. And then every year, once a year, we have a Faith Promise Missions Conference. And I'll tell you why I value this conference. Not because it's tradition. It is tradition. And it's wonderful tradition. But I'll tell you what the real value of it is. It's a moment where we can stop. And step back. And lift up our eyes. And look and see. And perceive again the real need. Let me just mention four things that I'm asking God to do in my heart and I hope he does in your heart. I hope he gives us a greater vision through the meetings that we have this week. It's so easy, as I said a moment ago, for us just to be consumed with all the necessary things we do. They're not sinful things. It's not sinful to go to work. It's not sinful to raise our families. It's not sinful to care about 
of the, the physical things we have to take care of, but they're so consuming that sometimes it robs us of that ability to look up and truly see the need of this world. Uh, there, there's so much uh, in our country, we're so gospel-laden that sometimes we forget just how dark this world is. And God says, I want you for this time, I want you to lift up your eyes. I, I am not a Greek scholar. I took elementary Greek 45 years ago, a whole year. So I am a scholar, but no, I, I love to look up Greek words. And that lift up, you know what it means? It means pull up the anchor. It, what, what, what God is saying is, is our, our eyes can get anchors that hold them down and looking at our stuff, our needs, our life, my direction, my desires. And God says, hey, sometimes would you just pull up the anchor? And let your eyes come up off of yourself and onto the incredible need of this world. And not just lift up your eyes, but look on the fields. That thought of look on, boy, it means truly study it, truly perceive it. Because the need is absolutely incredible. Most of the Christian world runs through life. And never once considers the true need of the world. You see, we've come to the place in modern Christendom, even in our nation, we've come to where the key word is not seek, or I'm sorry, serve, it is self. And, and we think God owes us, and God exists to make life good for us. And, and, and so God is just a, like a genie in a lamp, and we rub him when we need something, and he's supposed to produce good for us. But the truth is, if we'll look up, lift up our eyes, and look on the hurting, hurting world, we'll see that the need is so great. And I pray this, this week, that God just gives us a vision beyond ourselves. I want you to notice this. I want God to not only show us, I want God to touch our hearts. I was, I'm a Kentucky boy, and, and I'm not overly emotional, but I am concerned that we have become so academic in our churches that honestly, we have churches of dry eyes and empty altars. And we've gotten so good at coming in and learning and studying, and we've become so good at, at I think, clear-minded preaching, but we're really bad at serving. <laughs> and we're really bad at being moved by what we see and what God speaks into our heart and one of the things that I would suggest to you is, is that in this verse is intimated this, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. When the farmer looked up and deliberately and perceiving carefully his fields and he saw that they were white under the harvest, he didn't say, well, eh, we'll give it a few months. Man, he got motivated 
because he knew if you didn't get that crop in now, you'd lose that crop. And so he would get his equipment ready. He would get his team ready. He would get up before dawn and and be waiting for the daylight so he could get into those fields. If he needed to, he'd call call his friends to help because there was an urgency to get to that field and get that crop in. I love what it says about Jesus when he looked on people, when he looked upon the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Moved. Moved with compassion. Can I ask you a question? When is the last time anything from the Word of God moved you? I mean, just gripped you. And your response was an emotional response. We're not emotional, preacher. We're we're Baptists. We're not emotional. I'll tell you, when I first got saved, God could get a hold of my heart. I'd I'd find myself in tears as a 24, 25-year-old young man. Because I would see, I would see my sinfulness and and then sense the mercy and the grace of God. But you see, now I've been saved since 1975, and I've matured, and nothing moves me. And my friend, that's not maturing. That's growing cold. One of the things I'm asking God to do is, oh God, please don't make this an academic conference. Please don't let us be those disciples who run around trying to do good things in getting food for the master and miss the whole point of a lost and dying world going to hell. Please grip our hearts and move us with the same kind of compassion that you moved his heart. And I'm just asking God, please please don't make our missions conference a telethon where we raise money once a year and forget it. put a burden on our hearts that keeps us praying begging you to remove barriers and open countries and and open hearts and, and see men and women saved oh God would you please grow our faith our primary weakness is little faith you say, not, not me, preacher. Oh, well, okay. You're the, one, you're the one with excuse. Did you know that God is not limited by how far a country is away from here? I do not want to fly 24 hours to anywhere, do you? But God is not limited by that. God is not limited by governments. That ought to be encouraging to us right now. God is still sovereign and in control. And God is not limited by economies. God is limited by us. We're the ones that put the limits on what God can do. And I'm just praying, oh God, in this conference time, would you please speak to our hearts and and help us see that we can give. 
And we can give sacrificially. And, and we can increase our giving. Hey, there are some folks in this room, I'm praying for God to say to you, yes, you can go. Yeah, I'd like for you to go. And God could equip you to go. You say, well, I, I could never do that. Well, that makes you qualified to go because God loves to take the weak and the base things and confound the mighty with them. And I'm asking God, would you increase our faith? Would you help us to grow to see that we can give? Would you put a burden on our heart that we can pray more? Would you convince us that we can go? Because my friend, the need is unbelievably great. And I'm asking God to do this. I'm asking God to make this a participator's church. Not a spectator's church. And I know this is a great church. Don't hear me scolding you. But what I am saying is I'm asking God to put into our hearts to be as committed to this work as these people were sending there. I look at the Robinsons and I look at the Midkiffs. I don't see where they went. Where they, oh, they're teaching somewhere. I thought they left. You know, a lot of people do that when I preach. They get up and go. I, I look at them and, and I, I got an old grandpa's heart. And I look at them little kids and I think, man, I, they're going to Zambia. And I feel like pulling him aside and I'm saying, you watch them little girls. You be careful. And I want to take Brother Midkip. He's not as big around as my arm. And I, I want to say, now you, you take care. I don't know what that got to do with this message, but I just wanted to say that. No, I expect them to give up everything to do what God has called them to do. But do we have that expectation for ourselves? What do we give up? Do we give out of our abundance? Do we pray when it's convenient to pray? Do we never challenge ourselves with the possibility of going? And, and is it that we are excited about their commitment and their sacrifice and we are convinced that's how they ought to live? Hey, I simply want God to speak into my life and say, Brother, what about you? How are you going to participate? Conveniently? Comfortably? Comfortably? Or are you going to participate sacrificially? I'm saying that this entire week is for one purpose. For us to lift up our eyes. To take the anchors off of our eyes. To set aside everything else that we need to do in our lives. You know what I figured out a long time ago? Absolutely everybody in the world is busy. Busy. We work, we got kids, we got stuff to do, everybody's busy. I, 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 I'm just saying, you know what, Thursday, Friday, and Sunday, let's, let's just take the anchors up. And let's just say, okay, Lord, I'm going to give you the opportunity. I, I don't want to be like those disciples who in the midst of an opportunity to see God do something marvelous, be concerned 
about a sandwich. Nothing wrong with feeding our bodies. Nothing wrong with our busy lives. Except when they so consume and distract us that we stand outside a city that is hungry for the gospel and never consider the need. We come close to a woman whose life is a wreck and and almost destroyed and never have the moment to even care for her soul. Because we've got to take care of something physical. We've got to take care of something for today when an entire world is hurting and lost and dying. God, help me to lift up my eyes and see the need. And God, would you please move my heart? And God, would you please help my faith to grow because I can't ask these kids to give up their whole lives and just do what is comfortably convenient for me. And God, would you help me to be a participator in this conference? That's my message. And that's what I ask you to do for the next five days. Simply pray, God, would you help me to see it? God, would you touch my heart and move me? God, would you help me to grow in my faith so that I can sacrificially participate in the work of this church to reach cities like Sychar. They don't look like me. I don't like how they live. I don't like their cultures. But if somebody will tell them about Jesus, they'll get saved. God help us. Would you pray with me?